My name is Phil Stinson. I'm on the faculty of the Criminal Justice Program at Bowling Green State University, and I'm joined today by my colleague, John Lederbach, who's also on the faculty of the Criminal Justice Program at Bowling Green. John and I are going to discuss our latest research study on sex-related police misconduct. So sex-related police misconduct is becoming an increasingly important issue to practitioners and researchers. The topic has been covered in some detail in the previous research literature. Those studies are usually based on case studies of one department or small samples of officer surveys. And so the topic needs to be covered more thoroughly in the scholarship. The IACP has recently come out with some policies and statements in regard to the importance of the topic. So clearly sex-related police misconduct is something that needs to be more thoroughly studied. The fact is that police are in a unique position that provides opportunities for the sexual victimization of people they encounter, both on and off shift. Some of those factors include low visibility decision-making on the job, low supervision from the police department, obvious police power and authority, and encounters involving vulnerable victims, suspects, victims of crime, even witnesses, all are potential victims of perpetrators of sexual misconduct within a police uniform. So this study provides empirical data on the phenomena on an unprecedented number of cases. We derive cases from agencies and officers that work nationwide, and so the sample is larger than any sample that we're aware of as far as sexual predators, police uniforms. The data for this study were collected as part of our larger study on police crimes, and we identified several thousand cases of police officers who've been arrested during the years 2005 through 2007. Specifically, our larger data set involves 2,149 criminal cases of the arrest of 1,773 sworn officers in non-federal law enforcement agencies across the United States. The data were collected from published news articles using the Google News and Google Alerts email update service. The arrests of the police officers for this study were coded as part of a content analysis study for whether or not they were sex-related police crimes in terms of the arrested officer, their employing agency, each of the criminal offenses charged, victim characteristics, and adverse employment outcomes, as well as the disposition of the criminal cases. In terms of our findings, specifically as to the sex-related police misconduct arrest cases, we identified 548 cases that involved the arrest of 398 sworn law enforcement officers for crimes involving sex-related offenses. The most serious offense charged in over 20% of the cases was forcible rape, other commonly charged offenses included forcible fondling, which was almost 20% of the cases, statutory rape, which was just over 10% of the cases, forcible sodomy, about 10% of the cases, criminal offenses involving pornography, just over 7%, intimidation and harassment offenses were included in almost 5% of the cases, and 4% of the arrest cases involved online solicitation of a child, in other words, uh, internet-based crimes. I think the listing of the most serious charges in these cases gives the reader a sense of the seriousness of these acts. I think sometimes when, at least in the prior literature, when scholars address the issue of police sexual misconduct, many of the cases discussed in the literature are less serious. 
you can see from the sample of arrest cases that we have that there are serious charges in a good portion of these cases. Almost a quarter of the cases were rapes and a good percentage of them sodomy. And so these are cases of police sexual violence, a good portion of them, although not all of them are those. We also looked at information regarding the victims, and we had data on the victims' ages in 323 of our 548 sex-related arrest cases. The victims were less than 18 years old in roughly three-fourths of these cases. About 73% of the cases where we were able to determine the victim's age, the victim was a minor under the age of 18. In terms of the relationship of the victim to the arrested officer, we were able to determine the relationship of the victim in 521 of the cases. So 95% of the arrest cases, we were able to determine the victim relationship. The victims were most commonly identified as either strangers or non-stranger acquaintances, about 43% of the cases, or a child unrelated to the arrested officer in about 40% of the cases. Only a very small number of the cases involved the victim who was a current or former spouse of the officer or a current or former girlfriend or boyfriend of the officer. I think that these data, specifically in regard to victims in our sample of cases, is probably the most substantive finding we have. I think, especially among casual observers, if the topic of police sex misconduct would be discussed, I think many people would presume that the victims would most often be a spouse, a current girlfriend, someone in the officer's immediate uh, network of friends, and to be the age of a consenting adult. And so our data here brings up a lot of discussion issues about why there's such a prevalence of young victims in these cases, that when police are perpetrators of sexual misconduct, they seem to specifically target young victims, at least in cases where they are arrested for those offenses. As part of this study, we did conduct multivariate analyses in order to examine predictors of the case outcomes in terms of adverse employment outcomes as well as criminal case disposition. So we're interested in whether the officers lost their jobs or not and whether they were convicted of a crime or not. And the results indicate that the likelihood of conviction was significantly influenced by both the arrested officer's age and the type of law enforcement agency where they were employed. In these cases where there's been an arrest for a sex-related crime, the courts seem to treat the older officers who were arrested and those officers who were employed by state police agencies and county sheriff's offices more harshly than younger officers and those officers who were employed by municipal law enforcement agencies. Likewise, several factors seem to significantly influence whether an officer lost their job as a result of an arrest for sex-related police misconduct. The odds of an arrested officer losing their job increase in cases where the officer has been convicted of a related criminal offense, where they've been previously sued in federal court for violating somebody's civil rights pursuant to 42 U.S.C. 1983, and that could be either in a case involving the same operative facts or it could be completely unrelated to the incident where the officer was arrested. The odds of losing their job also increase if an officer is employed at a law enforcement agency located in a metropolitan, that would be suburban or urban county. I think the findings are in regard to the correlates of job loss among these officers 
Several of them, at least, make some intuitive sense. The criminal conviction would obviously increase the chances that an officer would get fired. The fact that some of these officers had been previously sued in federal court for civil rights violations might indicate the existence of a problem officer wherein this current case of sexual misconduct might be the straw that breaks the camel's back, so to say, and there might be problems in the past with those officers. And also the fact that a scandal or a cover-up increases the chances of criminal conviction I think also makes intuitive sense. Yeah, there's one other interesting finding that the odds of an officer losing their job decreases in cases where an officer had been suspended after an arrest for sex-related charges. And that's interesting because that's really sort of getting at how the courts and the courtroom work group view these cases and how they're disposed of by the criminal courts. So, John, one thing that I'm interested in is if we take the findings of this study, and this is an exploratory study, it's the only study that I'm aware of that looks at sex-related police misconduct arrests in so many departments across the country. What can we take away from it in terms of advice for practitioners that work in law enforcement? I think there's several things. I think one is just the sample size in this study. We only covered three years of data, 2005 to 2007. So I think the numbers are, in some ways are alarming. On the other hand, we have a couple decades of research on the topic, uh, exploratory research, and we have statements from the IACP about the importance of policies and the fact that sex-related misconduct is a reality in policing. I think that this study and other studies in this line of research should go to allowing police executives to realize that it is a reality. It seems as though some of these cases... The news media and police organizations treat them as, as isolated incidents or as uh, a case of a bad apple. I think that the reality is, is that police administrators need to recognize that opportunities for sexual related misconduct abound in police work. And so I believe there needs to be an assumption that if we don't treat the problem as real and enact specific policies and procedures designed to identify and punish sexual predators who are police officers, that it's negligent, that police departments need to realize the reality of these opportunities and the fact that this stuff goes on in departments across the country. One of the things that concerns me with the findings of this research study deal with teenagers who are victimized by police officers. And I am aware that in studies of victims of sex crimes, that the victims tend to be fairly young. But here, almost three-fourths of our cases involve children, you know, minors under the age of 18, and a good number of those cases involve children under the age of 11. But it's interesting, we see an awful lot of cases involving 14- and 15-year-olds, not only girls. We have some that are boys that are victims of sex crimes in these cases as well. I'm really not sure what's going on there. I know in my own experience years ago as a police officer, we used to have interactions with kids that age that seem to be the age where they're out and about, you know, downtown hanging around uh, at the malls, at shopping centers and things like that. The first age where they're really not under the watchful eye of their parents, where they're out and about more often. So we, we see that. 
And then in a number of cases, we see sexual victimization of teenagers who have been involved in law enforcement explorers programs. And that's something that Professor Sam Walker identified over a decade ago, where he had come across dozens of cases where law enforcement explorer scouts were victimized by police officers. And it's interesting to note that in all of scouting, the only exception to the rule that when you have activities involving the kids, that you have to have two or more adults present. The only exception to that is in the law enforcement explorers programs where youth can go on ride-alongs with individual officers. It's a perfect example of what I was talking about, that there's almost an existing traditional assumption that this kind of thing won't occur in the presence of a police officer. And I think our data and other studies on the topic suggest that maybe the assumption should be reversed and that certain safeguards should be in place given that we know really what causes this kind of misconduct. It's the opportunities that are inherent in police work. And that's exactly what was found in the research studies that have been published in the last few years involving sex scandals in the uh, Catholic Church. And I think we're going to focus on, on victims in, in cases of misconduct because that's the data that we have. But, you know, I think it's important to say that, you know, of course, 99.9% .9 of police officers are not sexual predators. That's not the point, though. The point is that there's a certain percentage of cases in which this does occur, and it occurs with some regularity. And so it's incumbent upon police departments and practitioners and executives to recognize the reality of it. It's exactly what the IACP recommended in their policy paper uh, 2011. That police departments need proactive policies. For example, police departments might consider a specific policy against sexual misconduct over and above existing policies on harassment. The existence of a specific policy is a recognition that the organization knows that this is a particular problem that needs to be addressed. Another avenue that police departments can do is to be more vigilant on the follow-up and the identification of officers who might be prone to this type of activity. One thing that organizations can do is to use existing early identification warning systems. If you input data in there that would correlate or relate to certain types of sexual misconduct, we may be able to identify these officers before. In a lot of these cases, and I know, Phil, you'll probably corroborate this, you know, by the time the officer gets arrested, this is not the first time that they've compiled victims of sexual misconduct. And so the police departments need to catch this stuff before a decade of victimization goes on. Yeah, I'll tell you, anecdotally, there's a pattern we've seen in sex-related police misconduct arrests where oftentimes when there's finally a case where a prosecutor charging authority believes a victim and charges are brought against an officer and it makes its way into the news, into the local newspapers and on the local television news, what we see time and time again is that more victims come forward and before you know it, for every one case where you had in the initial charges, there are five victims. So they feel safer at that point that they can come forward without any repercussions. I think, you know, if the number 548 cases doesn't alarm you, you should also be aware that these are cases where an actual arrest occurred. This is clearly the tip of the iceberg that there are many cases that go unobserved 
unreported and unpunished. Absolutely. And it, by the way, it's remember, it's 548 arrest cases in only three years, 2005, 2006, and 2007. What we're working on currently is continuing our content analysis research and coding data, coding cases, and we're working on the years 2008, 2009, 2010, and 2011. And hopefully over the next several months and over the next few years, we'll be able to follow this up with a larger data set. That concludes this episode of the Police Integrity Lost podcast. This project was supported by award number 2011-IJ-CX-0024 by the National Institute of Justice, Office of Justice Programs, U.S. Department of Justice. The opinions, findings, and conclusions or recommendations expressed in this podcast episode are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect those of the Department of Justice. For more information on our research, please go to www.bgsu.edu forward slash police integrity lost.